Reitman University. The Wandering Jew Podcast. Exploring beautiful humans, thoughts, and experiences with Naomi Edelman. Welcome to the Wandering Jew Podcast. I'm your host, Naomi Edelman. I thank you for joining me on this journey to explore the diverse experiences of modern Jewry. Today's guest is my closest friend in university and one of the funniest people I know. I would like to introduce this beautiful human, Naomi Allsberg. Yes, you heard that correctly. Two Naomi's, just as it should be. She's a second year student in communications and hails from Los Angeles, California. Welcome to the queen of the multiverse, Naomi Allsberg. I really didn't think you would keep in the multiverse part. Um, thank you so much for having me, Naomi. Of course, Naomi. Okay, so we're gonna start this off um based off of our previous guest ian woodbridge who you know uh, he had a question for you he wanted to ask you what is getting in the way of you being the exact person you want to be honestly myself i know that sounds cliche but i just know that if i make certain behavioral changes i know i could be the best version of myself i feel like a long time ago, I used to blame my circumstances, um, but I think I've developed enough to understand and be intellectually honest, and I think it's just myself. Um, so it's about overcoming um, your laziness. Yeah. So <laughs> you would way. say so you would say laziness is the hardest thing to overcome. Yeah, mental laziness for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that honesty. Yeah, I got you. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, Naomi, let's do a little bit of a background on you. So uh, where did you grow up? Um, Okay, so I was born in LA. I grew up there until I was 14. Um, And then I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where I did four years of high school there. And then right after high school, after 12th grade, um, I did a gap year in Israel. Um, And I've been in Israel ever since. Okay, amazing. Mm -hmm. Was there a huge culture shock for you going from LA to... um Atlanta. Atlanta. Literally it's okay. don't no, like that's everyone forgets about Atlanta. <laughs> it's really not. Which to me is kind of crazy because you always say that you're from LA and it, it makes sense because you spent most of your life there, but you never talk about Atlanta. And at least for me, I would say probably like the most formative years or, or my strongest memories are from high school and mm-hmm. what feel like the most formative years so it's always interesting to me that you always say you're from LA and that's why I always forget about LA. No that's really valid that's super valid yeah. I I just say I'm from LA like you said it's really where I spent the most amount of time so yeah I just feel like I have a special connection there and I'm still in touch with my friends from LA more than I would say my friends from Atlanta mm-hmm. um yeah so it's an important place yeah yeah what was your Jewish upbringing like um so I grew up, my parents were Balchuva. It means basically like coming back to Judaism or yeah. basically re-enlightening yourself, re-educating yourself after not being exposed to it your whole life. Yeah. Um, and so my parents, it's very common for Balchuva individuals to basically overcompensate like for their lack of doing Jewish things to put on your kids. So even though my parents were sort of like chill, as you could say, like modern Orthodox kind of vibes, they put me and my brother in 
really, really religious schools growing up basically my whole entire life. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So so wh- why do you feel like it was that they chose to put you in those more religious environments? Yeah, really just basically to overcompensate for them not okay, doing that. And like, um, I think because they were exposed to the outside world, they were so scared of it. So they wanted yeah. to put us in a really sheltered place because they were in secular high schools and secular day schools or whatever. Yeah. And they just didn't want that for us. And so they went to the opposite extreme. Right, right, right. I totally hear that. Do you, I don't know, for your future children, how do you see yourself wanting to raise them? Because you definitely were able to understand what it's like to be in a more insulated community or Mm -hmm. environment like that, even though your parents weren't like that. Right. So how do you, because it, like, listen, I, I totally hear their point that they don't want to expose their kids to everything. Like you, to some degree, you keep your kids sheltered in one way or another. It's not like oh, if you're keeping them in this sheltered environment, then they literally know nothing. It's no matter how you're raising your kids, you always keep them sheltered from something. And as they grow older, you expose them to more and more realities of life and, you know, different types of people and whatever. So so how do you think that you're going to temper that balance? Wow, great question. I just, I don't think there's a way to help the fact that your kids will be exposed to things. I think it's inevitable. Yeah. So the more extreme environment you're in, the more of a shock the exposure will be, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's what happened to me. So I think for my kids, um, I'm going to be reasonable about it. Like, obviously, in a perfect world, I want them to have, you know, the same Jewish values, those core values that I grew up with. Um, but at the same time, um, I want them to not be as as in an intense environment as I was. I want them to be able to form that for themselves mm-hmm. um, and still be in touch with that outside world because I think that's important. That's that's just in a perfect world. I don't know if establishments like that exist. Right, right. Um, but that's what I would want for my kids. So can you tell me a little bit what that intense environment was like? Yeah. Um, from what I remember, which I don't remember much, um, I don't really have such a good memory, but... <laughs> Basically, from what I remember, is that it was very, very um, Torah-focused. Like, it was very focused on the Bible, the Torah. Um, So, most of my day would be Judaic studies. And um, I really feel like I fell back on general secular studies. And that was something that bothered me, like, my whole entire life. Something that I've always thought about and regretted, even though I couldn't do anything about it because right. I can't control where you go to school of course, at right. a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remember it being really intense. They were pushing a lot of um, ideologies. I'm, it, the most common one is, you know, like, if you do bad things, you go to hell. Like, when you die, you go to hell and you watch a movie of all the bad things you've done. Like, that's so embarrassing. Think about your actions. And I've I've been hearing that since I was really a little kid through my whole life so I was really conditioned to think those things it was very intense and you don't realize until you leave I thought that was normal I don't think it's so normal yeah yeah wow that's so interesting yeah because I I also had a similar experience in that I was going to more religious school than my family was and a lot of the values that they imparted were not things that we subscribe to at all and were just oftentimes pretty antithetical to Judaism so it's hard because those things are such formative memories and then you have to kind of like as you grow up parse things out and reject certain Mm -hmm. ideas that were 
kind of fundamental to your upbringing mm-hmm. and like that's such a harsh thing to hear that constant embarrassment that <laughs> of everything you ever awkward. do like yeah. that's terrible that's, that's so scary like that sure. really is a fear yeah and there was no and the craziest part about it is there's no basis for that you can't find any sort of evidence for that in the torah it's folklore right. that you know like rabbis and teachers and authoritarians made up to keep kids behave in a classroom you know and not be annoying right um, and I think that the crazy thing is, is like you said, you had that experience. Every single person in an intense religious upbringing had that experience. Right. You know, it just, it, it really doesn't end. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it also seems to me, I, I don't know if this is indicative of a general trend, but I can definitely say, at least anecdotally, it doesn't seem to have worked because the, the majority <laughs> of my class, both classes that I was in when I skipped a grade, they are not religious now. So... I don't know. It seems that that's not really working and there's some weird shift away from being more religious. And I'm wondering how people, I don't know, prioritize things. And I think that's a serious issue for Jews nowadays is how to prioritize things. Because like, you're right. You were saying that 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 was another huge issue for me as well is that you fell so far behind in secular studies and it became really embarrassing of how little you Mm -hmm. actually knew. Mm -hmm. And the fact was, is that we weren't going to be staying in those communities. That was a temporary period of our lives, you know? So now we're going out into the secular world and we have nothing to offer. And it affects me to this day. Like I'm in university and like, I really, I didn't want to admit it because it's embarrassing to admit, but like my math level was so low. Yeah. And if I would have known to the extent of how like the standard that math would be in university, like maybe I would have taken extra classes and taught myself and preparing myself before university. Yeah. But I just didn't know, like I didn't know how intense math was and how good people were at it. You know, I didn't know that was the standard. Right. And I just, you know, it just really, really bothered me and it really was something I, I deeply regret. So I really want to send my kids back to the school thing. Like I want to send my kids to a good secular education school. Yeah, for sure. It's really important for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, it's also weird to me that for some reason Jews or or more religious Jewish communities made that dichotomy that it's secular studies. These things are inherently religious too. Like if you learn about physics, if you learn about mathematics, one of the most religious experiences of my life was sitting in Hever Schulberg's (laughs) class and learning. Shout out to Hever. Shout out Hever. And learning about 3D graphs, that was genuinely one of my top religious experiences because mm-hmm. you were able to see how the physical world transfers into or, or just how everything had a code. Everything was encoded and it was thought out and it wasn't randomized. And that made me see God even more in things because that mm-hmm. meant some type of higher intellect. And the more I learn about physics, the more I feel connected to God and that I see him in it. So I feel that that's a really weird false dichotomy that they created that either you have to have religious studies or secular studies. It's like they're both religious studies. It just, you know, depends how you do it. I mean, yeah, I feel I feel really conflicted about that because, yeah, like it's annoying that you're not, you know, amazing at math, physics on that level. But right. at the same time, in, in a religious school, to be, let's say, religious or to have religious ideologies and those beliefs, you need to know the stories you need to know it like you can't take away time from learning those stories because the knowledge that i have now about judaism i would argue is better than the people that know more about the secular studies Mm -hmm. so i and some people might not care about that but i'm really proud of the fact that how knowledgeable i am um and it was because of how i was brought up like they emphasized torah and judaic studies so much and 
if it were any less than that, I wouldn't have the knowledge that I have today. So it is conflicting because I do want to be established in the secular world, but mm-hmm. I'm still really thankful for how much I know right. growing up. Right. It's it's also interesting to me because you have a very unique perspective for a modern Orthodox Jew on a certain topic that we talk about sometimes. I disagree with you on it, but I like hearing your thoughts on it. And I would love you to share a little bit about that, about how you think, correct me if I'm wrong, you are saying either Haredim or Chabadnikim Haredim are doing Judaism the right way. Okay, yes, I, you did quote me correctly on that, and I really stand by it. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, I want to look at the counter side first, um, just to get it out of the way before I explain my argument, is really, I I understand the counter of looking at Haredim, and you're looking at their behavior, okay? So their behavior sometimes is completely negative, completely destructive, terrible, like, like the behavior between individuals, um, is completely terrible, whether it's a micro level or macro level, it happens, it exists, and we've seen it. Sometimes they act terribly and destructively. Um, so does other people, so does every other sect of Judaism, so does right. every other sect of any religion, humans. people in general, humans, <laughs> exactly. So I acknowledge that and mm-hmm. I understand, but in regards to maintaining Judaism and, um, you know, maintaining its longevity and continuing it on, um, I think they're the only ones doing it right. And by say doing it um, right, I think like by them immersing themselves in Torah, immersing themselves in their communities and not letting the outside world penetrate them by doing that, they're literally protecting themselves, their traditions and the actual, um, like practice of studying Torah because how I see it now with modern orthodoxy and everything, like I was watching this show, Jewish Matchmaking, and she came up with a new term. I was hollering. What's it called? It's called flexidox, where you're what flexible on certain things. Like, I just think it's like a cute way of saying modern orthodox. But okay. like, I think that with all these new things, conservative reform, at the end of the day, these people are going to secular high schools, secular universities, secular education, and they're assimilating. And I think in 50 years down the line, I wouldn't be surprised when modern orthodoxy doesn't exist anymore because right. we've all assimilated. We've all, we're so secular to the point where it's embarrassing to call ourselves modern orthodox. What's right. orthodox about us? Right, right. You know, like we have to be honest and say, I'm reformed. Oh, I'm conservative. Oh, I'm nothing. I, I just know that I'm Jewish and that's all I do. Right, right. And the only people that will still be existing is Haredi people. Okay, so I think you just said a really... I think the way that you phrased it this way is totally different to the way that I heard it before, which made it non-digestible to me before, but this time I actually well, think what you're I correct. <laughs> I think before you were saying that they were doing it the right way, and I thought you meant in terms of how they practice mitzvot and everything, which isn't even necessarily true of all of them. Like, we're obviously speaking in generalities here, and you know, no judgment to any sect. We love you all. But um, I I was just a little resistant to the, they're doing it the right way because oftentimes they have, you know, chumrot, like stringencies for no reason on certain things. But what you just said is actually so interesting, but that's because that's exactly what I heard this Haredi man tell me when I was at his house for Shabbat one time. And I was talking to him and he was telling me, and and I've and it, I've been thinking about it ever since. He said, you know, it's it's challenging because on the one hand, I resonate a lot more with modern orthodoxy in terms of the intellectual side of things and the way that my brain works. 
but in terms of keeping the longevity of of Judaism and whatever, like what you said, Haredim seem to be more successful on mm-hmm. that. And I think it's true because it's much easier to, you know, corner yourself off than to try and balance two different worlds mm-hmm. together. So especially when the secular world is so enticing. For sure, for sure. Like you could get lost in it. There's so much beauty to be offered by both and sometimes, and there's also terrible things that that both offer. And sometimes it's hard when you're balancing both to kind of like stick to the fact that you have certain restrictions when they're not fun all the time. And sometimes they're incredibly rewarding and you don't want to do anything else. Mm -hmm. And then other times, you know, you (laughs) have a harder time with it. So yeah. Okay, fine. In that context, then what you just said, I think that resonates with me a lot more. Okay, I'm yeah. so glad. Yeah. <laughs> but really, I also think that, like, the reason why I think that my way of thinking is, is I don't know, I guess unique for a modern Orthodox person is I think I'm one of the only few modern Orthodox people that admit to the fact that I'm not following halacha correctly. I'm not scared to admit that. Yeah. And I think the reason why so many of these labels exist is because these people still want to classify themselves as Jews and practicing Jews, Whoa. but they're too scared to just admit the fact I'm a failing religious Jew. So they make up labels. They make up sects of Judaism to that legitimize. they fit into. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Make official synagogues, do all of that. But I'm not scared to sit here and be like, yeah, I'm not the most amazing Jew. I'm not following as many mitzvot as i can that i can be doing wow and whatnot yeah dude that was some ms right there genuinely that was (laughs) no no that really resonated with me a lot what you just said that's kind of crazy because that's exactly Mm -hmm. how i feel like i like to call myself modern orthodox when the truth is is that i feel like a lazy jew a lot of the time yeah not committed yeah you know i'm a failing religious jew i'm a failing (laughs) orthodox jew i'm a failing Haredi. right you know but then when I talk to my Haredi friends, they also say, you know, all, uh, they they are constantly, you know, self-flagellating and talking about all of their failures. So it's kind mm-hmm. of challenging to figure out what you want to keep and what the purpose of those things are in your life. So so why don't you orient yourself more towards being religious? Why don't you take on as many mitzvot as you can if you think that you're doing it wrong or being lazy? Um. I, as a human, as like a hedonist, it's really hard um, to do things that I don't necessarily find enjoyable. Um, And I think the reason why um, some people are able to do it is because they have extreme, extreme discipline and they have mind over matter. They take the emotions out of the actions and they don't care that it's uncomfortable. They don't care that it's annoying because they believe in something higher than themselves. I am not at that level in the sense that I really care about my comfort. I really care about dressing cute. I really care about all these things. Um, And I'm not mentally disciplined enough to put my ego aside. Wow. Yeah. And it sucks to admit, but I'm happy to admit it. Um, And that's just where I stand on that. So. No, I appreciate that. I also think that that's true. So I, I, and that... Yeah, I don't know. I feel the exact same way. So I appreciate your honesty on yeah. that. No, I got you. It's, it's just you look at it and it, sometimes it's so discouraging because it's like, how could I get there, you know? Yeah. And every single day that goes by, it's like, I can't just throw everything I've done away. And then I go in too deep and like, I can't just not be like the person that I am today and throw away all of my habits. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do know exactly what you're saying. 
that's the thing I remember you we were talking about like breaking Shabbat one Mm -hmm. time and you were saying that you know what's the big deal if you were to do it like just once whatever you know and I was saying once you do it then it's so hard to go back and I think you've seen that with other things that you've done Mm -hmm. so that's kind of why I was vehemently saying no don't do it because once you do it then it's I can't believe I said that I'm so sorry no negatively influencing you no not me I was saying for you you know you've you've experienced that in other areas of of mitzvot where once you go down that path then it feels like you fell down a mountain and it's impossible to go back up god bless god bless you thank you Naomi's sick everyone um (laughs) okay Naomi so despite the fact that you feel like you're not the perfect Jew it's still something that's obviously really, really important to you and mm-hmm. seems to be a huge part of your identity, forms your identity. Why is that? Why is Jew- being Jewish important to you? I think that being a Jew is you're you're part of a story, like you're part of history, like the the Maccabees, like the soldiers fighting in the times of like Hanukkah and all of that. And then the same way now that Saha, like we have the army, it's just like a continuous like repetitive story that you're a part of um and it's something bigger than yourself and it's like on a macro level it's really amazing because you're part of a community and like you're not alone but on a micro level just connecting with like higher beings and doing small things that don't necessarily have to do with other people but are just a therapeutic experience just because I'm a Jew and that's something I have to do and it's so beautiful and I love that so I want to keep that you know, and maintain that, those aspects. Yeah. How, how do you think, I think that's actually really, really important and something I realized over break that the fact that we have such a rich history and such a rich present it's culture, amazing. I, I fall in love with it every single day and imagining that I'm part of creating the future of Israel and the Jewish history mm-hmm. is just something that's so exciting to me and something that makes my just makes my soul feel on fire and it really makes me feel bad for other people that don't have that because for me that's like my biggest that's the biggest part of my my identity and I think that people in America I noticed they have a lot of I don't know this nihilism that's starting to set in there and I think it has to do partially with that like they just hit below 50 percent of people attending churches and I think I think that's a portion of it that they're not unified they don't feel like they have a something above them that they're right because they believe in themselves like the the hierarchy stops at themselves like they don't their egos are so high they really can't fathom that there's something more to life than feeding their own ego and feeding their own comfort Mm. and i think that with jews the whole point of mitzvot is to recognize like even if it's like a random mitzvah that you don't really understand the meaning behind it why are you doing it because there's something other than yourself and yeah, I totally agree. I really totally agree with you. Yeah. So you moved to Israel from America. Why did you decide to do that? Um, Like you said, you know, the issues with, with America and what's going on there. I just... Another aspect to that, I don't, I don't know if it's related, but like another aspect that I see in America is that... Um, people are so passive there and it just feels like if you go down the route you know that I was set up to do I was initially set up to 
you know, finish seminary, go to, um, like, Stern or whatever, I don't know, and then, you know, get married, live in the suburbs of, like, I don't know where, Miami, New York. Mm -hmm. It just felt very passive, and it kind of bothered me that that's sort of, like, that I knew, it it bothered me that I knew what was going to happen, Mm. you know? You wanted to pick your own adventure. Yeah, exactly. And I just feel like here in Israel, it's just a pattern of people being more active. Like, people are more active in their life. They choose what they want to do. They sort of take life, um, like, they're controlling their life versus life controlling them. And I think the reason why I see that in Israel is because all the people that move to Israel, you have to be active to move to Israel. So all the active participants in life are in Israel. Mm -hmm, So I'm mm -hmm. just constantly surrounded by people like that. Yeah. So I love it. It, It's inspiring, honestly. No, amazing. That's such a good point. Like, Olim who are choosing to live in Israel, they're actively taking on a really hard struggle. Yeah. Yeah, like, you you need to be able to look in the mirror and be like, I'm about to do the <laughs> craziest thing. Right. I'm about to be 18, move 6,000 miles away from America. And away like, from family, friends, and, and, like, whatever, you know? And, like, yeah. not think twice about it. Yeah. Literally not even think twice about it. It was so impulsive. <laughs> and, like, that's so ballsy. I know so many people that did that. Yeah. And you're not going to find any sort of risk-taking people that are still in America to this day. Yeah. You won't find that. Okay. So, given that, there are an estimated 100 to 200 billion galaxies in the observable universe. I'm the queen of the multiverse, so So, I like where this is going. (laughs) As you know. And this is estimated based on data from the Hubble Space Telescope. The number of stars is... It can vary significantly, as galaxies can have anywhere from a few million to trillions of stars. And according to the Kepler Space Telescope's findings, it is believed that there could be more planets than stars in our galaxy. If this holds true for other galaxies as well, there could be over 10 to the 24th power planets in the observable universe. So given all of this, do you believe in aliens? 100%. I think it's actually stupid if you don't believe in aliens. Like, how narcissistic do you have to be? To believe that you are the only human on a floating rock. Like, you have to be, you have to be super, super narcissist to think that. Mm-hmm. I really think there are other life forms. I think there are other aliens. I think there are other universes. And I, I actually totally agree with you. I just came to this belief in aliens about this past week. Like, I always wanted oh, to whoa, believe in them. recent. Welcome. Yeah, yeah. I'm a recent That's true. Convert. Do you think that we, like, interact together in God's plan at some point? I don't know, but this is something that I think about. Tell me if this, like, is relevant and if this makes sense. Go for it, Okay. I think that, well, I also, like, I haven't said this thought out loud, so if I say it and it actually sounds stupid, like, really don't put this in, Naomi. Don't sweat it. No worries. We could edit out everything. (laughs) No, no, no. Oh, my God. We need to talk about this. But basically, I think that the proof to God's existence, no, no. Not the proof to God's existence. I think the proof that God doesn't exist and that it's really the human, um, like, conception is if out of all these planets that you just mentioned, if every single one of them created religious institutions. That that would be proof of God. It'd be proof that God isn't real. That God isn't real. Oh, okay. Why? Because... If let's say God, it'd be more convincing if like we were the only planet that had God, like I'd feel so special, but like there's something about the fact that if every single planet that you mentioned, 10 to the 24th planet did the same exact thing, set it up the same exact way, 
I'd just be like, oh, all humans are programmed the same. Like, we all have the same genetic coding. And we all feel the need psychologically to create a weird, like, like worship hierarchy situation. That's, Does that make sense? It's so interesting the way your brain works. Because for me, it, I would intuit the exact opposite. Because then that would mean that we're the only one special enough to have a relationship with him. Yeah. And okay. that's, that's so cool. <laughs> why, so, so you, why is that crazy? Like, no, so you think there are aliens. They're just not as good as us, basically. <laughs> We're better than you. <laughs> not that they're as good as us, but like as someone who believes in the fact that God chose us as a, as like his people, like what happened at Harsinai, what ha- like did that Harsinai incident happen at 10 to the 24th amount of planet? <laughs> if that's the case, I don't want it. I don't feel special. I like it'd be really impressive if other like places exist. And we were the only planet with Jewish people on it. But what if they each had their own unique history? And because imagine how much has happened in this one world. It's insane to fathom. That's all we ever talk about is what happens in this one world. Nuts. And if you think that anything even close to that could have happened on any other planet, then it does make me think that maybe there are other forms of morality that God maybe maybe imparted onto them. Or maybe just that's the human experience to go through all of these like magnificent feats and then at the end of it attribute everything to higher power because we can't believe all of this happened on its own (laughs) nice (laughs) i don't know i like to think about this stuff and try and think about how we would interact with each other because if i do believe that there are aliens then that does make me think a little bit more about how that plays into religion and our purpose and maybe if we're meant to interact at some point you Mm -hmm. know i mean if we ultimately end up interacting with them then it means that we were meant to interact with them i don't believe in coincidences right and i also believe everything is planned out right um so if we were to interact with aliens i think it'd be very on purpose and then i think we would serve a function for them and they would serve a function for us and the world continues do you think they're peaceful yeah why wouldn't they be I hope they are. I, I, I hope they are. I just assume people who aren't, you know, peaceful and friendly, it's because there's a reason. I think because it's, it's natural to be like, hey, how are you? And I think it's unnatural to be rude and aggressive when you first meet somebody. I think you have to actively choose to be that way versus it comes naturally to be friendly. Right. It also makes sense for us that that's our that that was kind of like our background and in the way that we evolved you know, we had to conquer things and et cetera. And then further along became more and more, we we were conquering things that we didn't understand and that we wanted to assert our power over. And then with time, you know, it became, you start to use your words more, <laughs> use your words. <laughs> and, and with aliens, I would wonder what was their evolution process like? Maybe they didn't even have one. Or if their evolution process was, yeah, I don't know. We just don't know. If they didn't have... Oh, this would be another proof, is that if they also had the Bible and it was an exact copy, what you're saying right now is, let's say aliens didn't have evolution and they just sort of like came into existence, then they can't use the same story of God created like man and then from man created like a woman, like, but instead of woman, it's like Glorpazorp or whatever. <laughs> Like, it, it, they would have, like, a mimic, and then therefore, like, only God would be true to us, like, on Earth, because that's the story of Earth. Right. 
So they would have to have their own story. Yeah, and it would have... Yeah, exactly. I don't know. And that's the craziest thing. What if there are multiple Bibles and multiple heritages that all... What if there's, like, a Jew version on their planet? And then we're meant to come together in this giant conglomerate. There's a Chabad there already. You guys, those are the tribes. Those are the lost tribes. That's where they went. Oh my God, that's actually, wow. What a thought. What a thought. What a thought. I'm glad we talked about this. (laughs) Okay, Naomi, what is a dream you have for your future self? I was also just talking about this other day. I don't know why I talk about these things on a regular basis. That's good. That means your Um, life is deep. (laughs) Like, not a regular basis, but recently. I don't have a dream. But I have a goals. I know that sounds like really cliche after I said it. But like when I explain it, I'll explain it. It's that like my goal is to have a family um, and provide for them to the best of my abilities and be like the best mother and wife to the best of my abilities. That's not really like a dream because I feel like a dream is more like like wishful thinking and like, mm-hmm. you know, but I just feel like I know it's going to happen and my goal is to be the best, like, provider, wife, mother, daughter I could be. That's just personally, yeah. That's beautiful. That's amazing. What's your dream for yourself? I guess you're right. Maybe that, that word doesn't have the right connotation. I appreciate that feedback. I'll change it. But <laughs> a dream that I have for my future self, I want to have a family, of course. And I just want to be really proud of my relationships and to work my tuchus off all the time because I like how that feels and it feels good to constantly be achieving, but also be able to feel God while I'm doing that. I think that would be my dream, mm-hmm. my goal for myself. It's a really good dream. Thank you. It's achievable. Thank you. And I'm going to ask you one last thing. Can you come up with a question for my next guest? What, what significant thing happened to you that really changed your life and pivoted your path? Nice. And why was that significant? And would you do it again or would you change it? Mm, mm, that's a great question. That's a really good question. That's how I'm going to open my next interview. Slay. Yeah. Thank you so much, Naomi, for sharing your soul with our viewers. Of course. And me. And thank you to everyone for listening. Have a blessed day. The Wandering Jew Podcast. Exploring beautiful humans, thoughts, and experiences with Naomi Edelman. All our shows and podcasts available online on our website and on all podcast platforms. Search Audioversity. Clubhouse.